Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of debt, Neil Garfield. You've heard for years that the financial products offered by Wall Street investment banks are, and always were, weapons of mass financial destruction that caused the 2008 blowout and the 2009, 10, 11, 12, etc. recession, which is called the Great Recession. Why anyone would regard the makers of that blowout as a credible source of information strains credibility, but it also strains the belief in blind justice. The current bias of the courts that assumes that the Wall Street firms and their minions of these companies that are, in some cases, not even companies, that they're telling the truth and they're entitled to legal presumptions is wrong. It's factually and it's legally wrong. But you're dealing with that bias. So you need to have specific strategies and tactics that will address that. Tonight, we look at how to turn that information into gold. Only this time, the windfall is for homeowners and not the investment banks. And I might add, it is a well-deserved windfall. It was created by the investment banks that are now being reported as paying huge bonuses to their employees and officers because of their current success in faking securitization. It's allowing them to virtually print money. Homeowners should at least share in those bonuses. Our point is that homeowners deserve a share of that money because without them, there would be no securitization scheme. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and I gather that there is some kind of technological problem again with Blog Talk Radio in which Bill Padalo is reporting that he keeps getting a busy signal, Uh, and he was to have joined me on this show. Bill, who I will be talking about, has been focusing his skills on the great securitization crisis and scam. Remember, there was no securitization of any obligation you ever had. Bill has the facts. 
I have the theory. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, and if Bill's able to get in, he'll be speaking from Montana. I think the starting point for all discussions on this topic should be that the securitization schemes do not securitize any debt. Most people think they do, but they don't, and there is absolutely no evidence anywhere that that is the case. And the entire scam of foreclosure is based upon a fictional representation of a loan account rather than any actual loan account for which some successor has paid money to own it, administer, collect, and enforce on it. There is no lender, no successor lender, and no loan account. If you proceed on that assumption and you plead and conduct discovery and you send out qualified written requests, plural, debt validation letters, plural, and complaints to the CFPB and the State Attorney General, Consumer Affairs Division, you will have established tracks. Do it, start as early as you can before there is any trouble. Even if you are paying, start asking the questions. Start sending the qualified written request, the debt validation letter, and then send the complaint to the CFPB and the State Attorney General Consumer Affairs Division. What's the complaint? Well, the complaint is they didn't answer the questions posed in the qualified written request. They never do. They didn't answer the questions in the debt validation letter. They never do. Now, some people make it a gray area by asking questions that are outside the purview of the statutes in uh, the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act and the uh, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So they, they, they try to create a discovery mechanism that goes beyond what the statutes say that the consumer is able to do. And that creates a gray area where they can uh, at least argue that they weren't violating anything because it wasn't really a, a qualified written request or a debt validation letter. But all of your actions, all of your statements, should be based on the premise of no lender, no successor lender, and no loan account. And that's true even in most cases where the bank is where a bank is named in any capacity, including on its own behalf, as the claimant. Because we've seen many times how JP Morgan Chase, City Mortgage, Wells Fargo Bank Bank of America are named as claimants, plaintiffs, beneficiaries, when in fact they're not. And so you need to deny these things rather than admit. And one of the ways of denying it 
is to say you're without knowledge and demand strict proof thereof unless you've got the word, a declaration of an expert that tells you this is my conclusion. The documents sent out under the apparent letterhead of Aquin or other companies calling themselves servicers usually contain vital clues as to the fact that they are dodging any question put to them. A lot of people ask me how I'm able to perform these reviews or if I'm really doing the reviews <clears throat> because my, the cost of doing it with me is far less than the retainer demanded by an attorney who does not have in-depth experience and understanding with the uh, current securitization claims. The reason is I know exactly what I'm looking for, and I'm able to accomplish, sometimes in seconds, other times in minutes, what it might take other people hours or even days to figure out. Because almost every word that is contained on the correspondence, the statement, the notice, or whatever, is a lie. But it frequently occurs, not always, that the content of the correspondence or the statement or the notice conflicts with other portions of the same document. And that's where you get vital clues as to the fact that they are dodging any question put to them. I personally have never seen a direct statement from the named successor lender that they assert payment for ownership of an unpaid loan account or underlying obligation. I have reviewed, why is that significant? Because I've reviewed, I figured it out the other day, looks like about 25,000 cases. Not seen one where they ever produce an unpaid loan account. They always produce a payment history, which under the best of circumstances would only be a partial report because it does not contain any entries reflecting payment to creditors. Hopefully this thing is recording and people will be able to listen to it afterwards because it doesn't look like anybody has been able to reach the switchboard. So as a follow-up to that, I was going to ask Charles, but he had an emergency. That's what happens when you're a lawyer. Uh, why do you think the legal profession is treating defense of foreclosures differently from the defense of other cl civil claims? Well, first of all, why am I saying there's a difference? Well, in normal circumstances, every trial attorney, even if they're fairly unskilled, starts off with the premise of asking what's the claim and who is the claimant? In reality, in foreclosure defense, 
most lawyers and, frankly, most homeowners fail to address those essential questions. And as a result of that, they end up admitting a bunch of things that they know nothing about. I'm not saying that you should assert something that you don't know is a fact. But just because you don't know it as a fact doesn't mean you have to admit the allegations of the other side. And it doesn't mean that you can't test what the other side is saying or what they're implying. So if you send, like in a non-judicial state, if you receive a notice of substitution of trustee, that should be immediately challenged. Go to court if necessary. Because if you don't, they've named a new beneficiary and you've accepted it. And in truth, if that party is not a beneficiary, which in 99.99999% of the case, they are not, then the new trustee, the appointment of the new trustee is void. You can cut them off at the knees if you go early, if you, and, and it's much less expensive to do that. We start getting down to specific arguments that can be made to judges and specific testimony from the forensic expert that would likely succeed in educating the court. Like Bill Padalo, Dan Edstrom, and others have repeatedly done in the past. I'm talking about people who have testified in cases where the homeowner won. I'm not talking about people who have just testified or produced a report. You need people, if you want to actually accomplish something, then you've got to go to the people who know and who know how to articulate it. One of the things that I have not made a point about, which is probably my own fault, uh is how many times, and I've heard homeowners complain about this, but I never picked up on it to any great degree. In court, we're very used to everybody, you know, fighting over everything and uh, sometimes yelling. But most of the time in foreclosures, the lawyer for the foreclosure mill will argue facts that were never alleged, nor are they in any evidence or exhibit. Now, this is permissible until somebody objects. And what the lawyer is really doing is he's planting in the judge's mind facts that don't exist to reinforce the bias that the judge came in with. This device is usually allowed and should probably be done in defense work. What I mean by that is that defense lawyers could be arguing facts that are not yet in evidence, probably never will be, in order to offset the script of the foreclosure bill. 
When I say not yet in evidence and probably never will be, I'm referring to the discovery process where you timely and properly serve discovery demands on the other side, and they fail to answer. So you don't get the evidence that you're looking for, but that opens the door for you to ask the court for an order compelling them, then motion for contempt, then motion for sanctions, then probably another motion for sanctions, uh, motion for evidentiary sanctions, motion for economic sanctions, and finally a motion in limine, which is a motion to limit the evidence that the other side can put on because they didn't give you answers to the basic questions of the case. I think that by arguing facts as though they've already been established in, say, a motion to dismiss, it will help a lot in compelling discovery later in that you've already raised issues that are now being put on the table or on the judge's radar when you file the motion to compel responses to discovery demands. No lawyer can proceed with a defense without knowing the weaknesses in the case against his or her client. That's a key issue, and again, another one where foreclosure defense differs from the defense of any other civil claim or criminal claim. If you want to defeat the claim, you've got to know the weaknesses of the claim and the weaknesses of the claimant. Most lawyers proceed without the facts that would reveal those weaknesses. So the starting point is Bill Padalo or some other qualified forensic investigator. And then the next step is hiring a lawyer who can then develop a strategic and tactical plan to attack the weaknesses that were revealed by the forensic investigator and the defects that were revealed by the forensic investigator in the case against the homeowner. This is nothing new. All defense strategies proceed this way. But disinformation spread by Wall Street has caused lawyers to think that they already know the facts when they don't. And so they fail to perform proper due diligence and inquiries. In turn, those same lawyers may give bad advice to homeowners seeking to protect their home investment. And almost nobody is looking at the opportunities to plead a good case for disgorgement, compensatory damages, and punitive damages. Almost all homeowners that I talk to, and most lawyers, regard disgorgement and damages as pie in the sky. I'm telling you it's not. I'm telling you there have been cases that have been settled and paid. It just is not, it, the, it's not pursued because of the assumption by most people that there is a legitimate loan account out there and, you, and the homeowner owes it. If you take away that assumption, you would find lawyers and homeowners lining up to do what every other person does 
when defending a false claim because these claims are false. They're hiding the fact that they've already made tons of money and have no need to uh, retain the existence of a loan account but for the fact that if they didn't pretend that they had a loan account, then there would be no uh, apparent foundation for what they're calling the securitization infrastructure. So looking at the wording uh, recently on uh, for a client, uh, for, again, an unsigned letter that raises all kinds of questions, supposedly on the letterhead of New Res Care of PHH, which is clearly done, and you'll see why in a minute, by an AI uh, uh, electronic uh, algorithm. Uh, no human hand ever did this. No human mind ever conceived of this response. But this is what I mean by looking carefully at what you're seeing. Responding to a QWR, this unsigned letter, which I can almost guarantee you was done by Black Knight, <clears throat> and which New Res COPHH, which is Aquid, never knew about, says that the investor that they have listed is, quote, Wells Fargo N.A., comma, the Bank of New York Mellon, formerly known as the Bank of New York. Well, wait a minute. Which is it? And how did this happen? In document preparation software, they're looking to fill in fields. And what happened here is a mistake was made. And it went to more than one field instead of just one field. And it pulled out Wells Fargo and Bank of New York, both of whom are probably involved in the securitization scheme. Then it goes on to say that Bank of New York Mellon, formerly known as Bank of New York, is a successor in interest to J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And then it says, as trustee, so the question becomes, wait a minute, are they saying Bank of New York Mellon is now a trustee? Or is it a successor to J.P. Morgan as trustee for the so-called trust? Then you go on. What's a trustee for? Structured Asset Mortgage Investments to Trust. 2006-AR5 may or may not exist as a Delaware statutory uh, trust, but Delaware statutory trusts are basically corporations. Uh, they don't necessarily have beneficiaries, trustees, or anything else, or for that matter, any assets. This particular aspect, 
I happen to know, uh, is under investigation by law enforcement. And then it refers to mortgage pass-through certificates, 2006-AR5. Well, this is where I only take a second and other people need hours, days, or even weeks to comprehend it. The mortgage pass-through certificates have nothing to do with mortgages or notes. They do not, the certificates do not convey any interest in any mortgage or note or debt or payment. But the label mortgage pass-through certificates conveys something that is just not true. And so the reader, the judge, is inclined to look at this as though, oh, there's a bunch of investors who bought this loan. Not true. Was never true. Was never intended to be true. Because in the iteration of securitization that they are have been following for 20 years, they sell in form the same ob uh, fictitious obligation over and over and over again. So there are at least five salient things that make the statement in that Q in that response to the uh, QWR an illegal response which means that you can sue them under RESPA, Real Estate Settlement and Procedures Act. And it establishes an inconsistent statement, in this case, that's basically very clear. It lists both Wells Fargo and Bank of New York as somehow the investor. And they're using investor singular. So that may seem like a hair-splitting um, a statement, but in fact, it is opening the door a crack which will show that there's nothing in the next room. So, the inconsistent statements that you point out will never be reconciled because they can't be. And so you're going to go round and round, and this is what litigation is about, and that's why it costs so much, et cetera, in, in your attempt to force the other side to uh, admit that it's violating court orders, et cetera. Now, if you get to that point, the odds are you're going to get um, offers of settlement and I have usually advised my clients to wait until the third time they say that this is the final offer. The first one is usually something that will communicate that they don't think your defense is worth anything. So they offer you literally nothing or practically nothing. Second time they offer you a little bit Third time, they might get into at least negotiation territory. So 
this presents an opportunity for the homeowner or the lawyer to start educating the judge. I suggested this particular person file a motion for clarification or a more definite statement since it was impossible for him to determine who the, the claimant was and who he should pay. All the while taking the position that he wants to pay and has the resources to do so. Even if his motion is denied, this brings the issue up on the radar of the judge. It does move the needle, even if not completely. That's it for tonight, folks. Thanks for listening. And tune in next week with Charles Marshall. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.